When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. Uh, we're going to have another solo podcast this week. Not about the movie solo, although I'm going to talk about um, Jonathan Kasdan and Ron Howard at the end of this. So about that for a tease. Um, if you want to listen to podcasts with actual guests, the last two have been pretty good. John Greenberg, we talked about the cup. We talked about the cup convention. And we talked about the Bears, introducing Kevin Warren. And then last week, uh, we did a long podcast with Kelly Dwyer, where we talked about... Uh, I spent a lot of time making fun of the fact that you know he's a Cardinal fan, and he's he's now got to live with Chip Carey. And he, he has a strategy to never listen to Chip. Which, you know, I endorse. And um, we talked about 80s and 90s Cubs. And then we talked about the Bulls. And uh, so... The bold discussion was not exactly uh, <laughs> all that optimistic. <laughs> but still, so you can check that out. So we had some breaking news today before I started the pod. Marquis has made a new hire. And uh, no, it's not uh, Taylor McGregor's, um, any of her family members, although I'm sure she would love that so she could interview them. It is uh, former Cub and World Series hero, Dexter Fowler. Dexter announced his retirement uh, yesterday from baseball. Uh, he didn't play last year at all, right? He blew out his knee in spring training or whatever. Uh, he talked about he had 14 great years in the big leagues. I beg to differ. I think he had 10 great years, and then he had four years with the Cardinals. Um, but he got a lot of money from the Cardinals, and so I endorse that. He didn't. I don't think he enjoyed his time there all that much. He said some perfunctory nice things about them. Um, but he clearly loved his time with the Cubs. And why wouldn't he? He was there in 2015 and 2016, two of the all-time greatest years to have been a Cub. And he was a big part of, um, of their World Series team. It led off Game 7 of the World Series with a home run, uh, which was nice. He's the only player to ever do that. He's got that going for him which is also nice. Uh, he was really good for a year and a half with the Cubs. It took him a while, although he did have a big homer. His first homer ever for the Cubs was an extra inning home run off our old friend Latroy in Colorado, which I'm sure Dexter enjoyed. He had been a, he came up as a Rocky. And um, I believe I should look this up. I'm pretty sure the other thing that game is known for is I believe that was the game where Mike Olt banged up his thumb, which necessitated the Cubs calling up some slappy from AAA, Chris Bryant, who was down there working on his defense. It just happened to be that they called him up on the very day that he would no longer qualify for a full year of service time. I'm sure that was a coincidence. Uh, but Olt got hurt. In fact, they may have made him play a game with a bad thumb. I don't remember. <laughs> but uh, Chris Bryant came up and he was Rookie of the Year and then he was uh, MVP the next year and he hit the biggest home run in Cup history in Game 5 of the of the World Series. And they rewarded him by trading him to the Giants and last year he spent pretty much the whole year on the injured list for the Rockies. That's a full circle moment. But Dexter has retired and the breaking news wasn't that he retired yesterday. The breaking news was today, the Marquee Sports Network, the preeminent sports regional sports network in uh, the 1000 block of Addison Street in Chicago, at the very least, um, has announced that Dexter is joining the pre- and post-game show. They didn't say how often, because God forbid you break up the exciting duo of Sean Marshall and Ryan Sweeney. But hopefully we're going to get a fair amount of Dex because uh, he's likable, smart, um, 
was actually part of a good of a winning Cubs team. I know Sean Marshall was on teams that you know, won divisions with the Cubs, but uh, Dexter was on the team that won uh, won it all. And someday they will get to my dream lineup where the post game show is somebody other than Cole Wright, and uh, the two analysts are Dexter Fowler and Miguel Montero. Then I think that actually has something. That would be fun. So I do congratulate Marquis for getting that right. I assume what they'll get wrong is that they won't use him very much. Um, when John Greenberg was on, we talked about Marquis' talent lineup and how so many of them are part-time. You know, the Marquis' value proposition for, uh, an, for analysts seems to be, could you make most of your money somewhere else and then moonlight with us a little bit? Because we don't really like to pay. Um, but they do have some good analysts. I think Cameron Maven is good. I think Cliff Floyd is good. Doug Glanville is good. And none of them are full-time. <laughs> that appears to only be Ryan and Sean. Uh, but maybe Dexter will have a bigger role. I just can't imagine that a guy who made a lot of money, freshly retired, wants to sit in the little sweat box where the marquee studio is, you know, a hundred and... 15 times a year to watch that this very this this team that's so improved it's now mediocre uh, but maybe we'll be surprised and Dexter will be around for some more I think uh, I have a feeling he'll be good so I I'm glad that they they have him it's you know some good guys part time is better than bad guys all the time I would I would guess um, we talked about or I wrote about how the Cubs have made eight eight free agent signings for players that are on the big league, on the 40-man roster. And they're all white dudes. Um, well, congratulations. They've added some more white dudes. Uh, last week they signed uh, former twin reliever Tyler Duffy and former Marlins. Why not? He's not a, not a former righty. He's a former he's a former Marlin, he's a current reliever. Jordan Holloway. Um, somebody's gotta make up for the loss of Mark Leiter. I know Mark Leiter put up good numbers last year as a reliever, um, but relievers are so fungible. And it's it's like the gambling disclaimer, you know. Past performance is not indicative of future results for guys that don't really have great stuff like Mark Leiter. I just, I can't get angsty about losing him. So, so there's that. <clears throat> Other guys they've signed that you may have missed, because I did. On January 17th, they signed another reliever, because you sign a bunch of relievers to minor, minor league deals in spring training and let them all duke it out. Julian Merriweather. I, don't, I couldn't pick Julian Merriweather out of a police lineup. And I'm sure you missed this. And this happened during the Cup Commission. I can't believe they didn't have like a panel to celebrate. Uh, they signed former Yankee and Giant, and I don't know who else he's played for. Outfielder Mike Talkman. Great. All right. Um, that'll fix things. He's from Palatine, so presumably. He'll save money if he makes the team by living with his mom and dad. He's only 32, which is, you know, young for the Cubs. But they signed Mike Talkman. Uh, let me take a quick look here at what... Uh, who has Mike Talkman played for? <clears throat> oh, he played... He started with the Rockies. Um, then the Yankees. And... 2021, he played for the Giants. 2022, he didn't play for anybody. Seems like a good sign. And um, so he's hopefully he's probably condo shopping in Des Moines. They signed him. Did you guys know that they signed um, reliever Vinny Natoli? I didn't, but they did. Uh, signing away from the Phillies on a minor league deal. So who says that Jed and Carter haven't been active? Because, whoo, oh boy. Um, they did sign, 
they you know this was a minor league contract, but they did sign Luis Torrens, who's uh, from Venezuela, um, to be one of their. You got to load up on catchers for spring training because otherwise, when you try to have six pitchers throw bullpens at the same time, uh, the balls are just rolling around the grass, and it's not very efficient. So they signed uh, Luis Torrens. Uh, earlier in the offseason, they had signed Dom Nunez. I'm sure you guys all have run out and get your got your Dom Nunez um, jerseys. He's from Elk Grove, California. They have him listed here as number three. I don't know if that's for sure, uh, but you if if you go if you go to the Cub shop and they don't have a Dom Nunez jersey, you can have one made. I'm sure. He's he's number three in your program and number one in your hearts. So that's gonna be fun. Uh spring training starts not next week but the week after. And um anybody who's gonna play in the World Baseball Classic is allowed to report to spring training two days early because apparently it takes two days to get ready for the World Baseball Classic. Um but uh, I believe the Cubs reporting day is the is the fifteenth. And so some of the guys might show up on the 13th, but I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but there's already Cubs down there taking batting practice. Like Cody Bellinger hitting bombs in batting practice. What a good sign, because only the best hitters can hit home runs in batting practice. So clearly it's a sign that he's turned it around. And uh, Brennan Davis was taking batting practice and um, did not was not wearing a full back brace, was not in a wheelchair. So I took that as a good sign. Um, but it is funny. It's one of the things I do love about the early, as guys trickle into spring training, footage of guys playing catch and footage of guys taking batting practice. <laughs> and then people acting like it's something. It, to me, it's the equivalent in football. And I love the fact that CBS, in an effort, and we're going to talk about Tony Romo here in a minute. Woo. But uh, CBS, in an effort to clutter their broadcast as much as possible, they not only have Nance and Romo in the booth, but they also have Gene Steratore, who you probably know best for blowing calls uh, against your favorite team in Big Ten basketball games, but I don't know if you know this, he also was an NFL official for a long time. Um, they have that, him there to, to opine on the rules. CBS, they're going all out. They also have Jay Feely down on the sidelines, who they can go to him, former NFL kicker, <laughs> and go, uh, "How? what yard line do they have to get to, Jay, to try a field goal? And he'll tell, well, this guy was, I saw him in warm-ups that he was short from 55. I mean, why don't we Why don't we extrapolate this to um, have, like, a sideline reporter in basketball who they go down to and, like, all right, um, what's Zach Levine's range today? Well, he was missing from 37 feet in warm-up. This is, what, the, what does it matter? I just, I don't get it. You're either going to make it or not. I mean, were they... Could they have gone down to a kicking expert last week? Fox could have had somebody and been like, all right, where, where do you think Brett Meyer can make make this from? Nowhere. He can make it from nowhere. Right? He was kicking balls into the parking lot in warm-ups. So there's that. Um, the Athletic had, a, had an article either today or yesterday where they went around, they had, the, they had a, a beat writer from each team grade their team's offseason. And uh, they had they had our, our good friend Patrick Mooney. He gave the Cubs a B. Basically said they've uh, in, improved the uh, the likability of their clubhouse <laughs> with Trey Mancini and Cody Bellinger and whatever. And that they're um, I like this. I don't think he wrote this, but everybody keeps talking about how they've raised the floor. They've raised the floor. I just assume that if you raise the floor, it makes it easier to get into the basement. Is that that's not what that means? Um, in other words, they're this Cub team with all this talent incapable of losing 98 games. They can't do it. They're too good. Maybe 88, but they can't lose 98. Uh, but, it, but basically at the end, Patrick's like, they made a lot of moves in the offseason. They've improved the team. But they're probably going to regret signing the fourth best shortstop and not getting either a top-of-the-rotation starter or a middle-of-the-order batter. And he's, he's right. I like that the expectations are so low that that qualifies as a B. For the Cubs. And it actually feels about right. But I don't know if you saw this. If you scrolled all the way down to the bottom of the list, there was the White Sox. 
James Fegan gave them an F. And he's not wrong. They only signed two big league players. Uh, they signed Andrew Benintendi, who was going to wander around left field instead of Eloy, although no one has seemed to told Eloy that. He still thinks he's going to play left. when He's going to have to find ways to injure himself as the DH, and he will. And um, it's they signed uh, Mike Clevenger, and we know that Mike Clevenger is in big trouble and about to get... Once the White Sox lawyers tell them it's okay... Uh, he's going to get released. So, uh, And that's all they did. They took that... So they had that team last year that was supposedly was this World Series or bust team, and it clearly went bust. And they're worse this year. They didn't, it's not like, saying, okay, well, that didn't work. we got to load up again because we've got these supposed talented young core. That young core is getting older. Some of it is turning out to not be all that talented. And they seem to be going in the wrong direction, but that's too bad. And it's funny that Mike Clevenger turned out to be a scumbag because Cub fans will remember uh, his brother, Steve. It's not really his brother. It's not even spelled the same, but uh, karmically, maybe they're brothers. Steve Clevenger, former Cub catcher, who was, I'm sure, the uh, the real key to the Scott Feldman trade uh, because he went with Scott Feldman to the Orioles for Jake Arrieta and Pedro Strope, which turned out to be a pretty good deal for the Cubs. Um, turns out Steve Clevenger, big old racist. So, uh, just maybe don't sign a Clevenger. Just try to avoid that. So there's that. Uh, there is, there's, there's kind of Bears news this week. Um, I'm sure you're, uh, you're going to watch the Senior Bowl this weekend on Saturday or whatever day it is. Uh, the American team, they've divided into the American and the National. And the Americans are coached by Bears offensive coordinator Luke Getze. It's like a new thing where there's the two the the two uh, All Star games that we remember. Actually, I remember the Hula Bowl, which seemed like the the good one to be in because you got to go to Hawaii. But I don't think they do that anymore. Um, they have the the East West Shrine game, which I think they still have, and I know obviously that they have the uh, they have the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. And there's some kind of formula where they take like one of the they take two of the worst teams from the year before who didn't fire their coach. That's <laughs> a key thing. And their entire coaching staffs go and they coach. Well they've changed it now so that um, they still do that for one of the two games, and I believe they alternate from year to year. So this year, East West Shrine game gets entire coaching staffs from crap teams who didn't fire their coach. And then the the Senior Bowl, they take assistant, rising assistant coaches, and they make them the head coaches of the two teams. So they get a little head coaching experience. And then their staff is filled out with assistant coaches from around the league. Um, and the, the NFL picked Luke Getze, Bears offensive coordinator. I'm sure they looked at those first few games and were like, whew, got to hire this guy. Um, and he's the, head, he's the head coach of the American team. Now this is this should be an advantage for the Bears because you've got I believe he has four other Bear coaches on his staff, although maybe it's just in the game because like Carlos Polk, who's a Bears um, assistant special teams coach, maybe he's a special team coach I believe of the other team, of the National. But there are some Bear coaches down there, and that's good because they'll get hands-on experience with some of these prospects. And while I think the Senior Bowl is limited because it's called the Senior Bowl. To seniors, I, I do believe that like if you're like a fourth-year junior and you're coming out early, you could play in these All-Star games now. It used to be you had to be, um, you had to be a senior. Although I'm pretty sure Bo Jackson played in the Hula Bowl, or maybe he went to that weird game in um, in Japan, and he left early. So that was way back in the '80s. I don't remember. I just read Bo's book, the Jeff Perlman. It's not Bo's book. The Jeff Perlman. He's in that book, but it's not his book. The Jeff Perlman book about Bo Jackson, called The Last Folk Hero, I believe that's the name of it, is really good. I really enjoyed the Bo Jackson book. There are some, um, he really did do some ridiculous things. Um, But Bo was a very quirky person. Bo was fundamentally um, an athlete who did not want to work. He was just so physically gifted. That's basically why he didn't want to. Like, he hated to run. 
hated it. Would not refuse to ever run anything more than one lap around the track. <laughs> if it was more than 400 meters, Bull wasn't doing it. And he rarely ever worked out. You know, he was just naturally ripped. And um, uh, he, he really didn't, he really never did a serious exercise routine until he got his first hip replacement. And then he had to work out because it was the only way he was going to be able to come back and, and play baseball. Um, but that was kind of interesting. Those stories and then some of the ridiculous athletic things he could do and, and the way he grew up as a kid. Um, it's a really good book. So I would I would recommend it. Uh, but anyway, I've gotten off the... Somehow it went from the... From the... Uh, Senior Bowl to the Hula Bowl to the Japanese Bowl. Because there was a story in there about it. I know he played in Japan... Uh, the year before he got drafted by the Bucks, even though he kept telling the Bucks he was never going to play there, and they refused to believe him, and then he didn't. Um, there's a good story in there, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell this story. You can buy the book, although I didn't buy it. I, we have these things called libraries, and I like to check books out of libraries; they're free. It also forces me to read it. So I'm really good at buying books. I mean, like, well, this is going to be great, and then it sits in a stack, and you know, I can't get to it. Like, here's a book I'm reading now. I'm reading the book, the Michael Lewis book, um, The New New Thing. The book is 20 years old. I haven't owned it for 20 years, but it, I, I didn't buy it. I didn't just buy it. I found it on the shelf. I never read this. So I'm, I'm forcing myself to read It's a good book. Um, I, you may have seen on Twitter that I as I opened it and I immediately thought Michael Lewis was, um, was picking on me because he dedicated the book to Tabitha. And those of you who don't know who, Ta- who Michael Lewis's Tabitha is... Um, Here's Michael Lewis, this guy who is um, this super successful writer. All, seems like a really cool guy. And he's married to Tabitha Soren, who was the was on MTV News when I was in high school, and I had a big crush on Tabitha Soren. And so Michael Lewis is, you know, he's writing cool books, and he's married to Tabitha Soren, and, you know, screw him. But I read everything he writes because it's good. The only book as I read, I, didn't, I did not understand the big short at all. I couldn't follow it. I couldn't understand tranches and all the other crap he was writing about. So I was very glad when Adam McKay made a uh, a movie with like Margot Robbie uh, naked in a bubble bath explaining... I don't remember what she explained, but I understood it when Naked Margot explained it to me. Because um, I didn't understand that. But he is normally... And I'm a dope, so that didn't help with the whole financial thing. He's normally very, very good at uh, explaining a complicated thing in a way that dopes like me can understand it. The other thing he's really good at is finding the characters, and I'm you can't see this, but I'm making air quotes. The characters of Michael Lewis books, yeah, they're real people. He finds people, although Billy Bean obviously was very prominent in Moneyball. Although as Joe Morgan will tell you, Billy Bean wrote that book. The book that Joe never read, and that and the Billy didn't write. But he was mad at Billy for writing the book that he didn't write. And that Joe never read. He's really good at finding people who are I guess it's similar. We just knew Billy Bean because he's baseball general manager at the time, and we knew we know those guys. Finding somebody who is not that well known, but is integral to whatever the topic he's writing about is. Um, I think my all-time favorite book uh, his is called *The Fifth Risk*, and it's about people who work in the government, people who have like permanent jobs in the government. Who it doesn't change when the administrations change, although uh, the president can like clean them out and then start over. But there are a lot of people who have these, for lack of a better word, I don't think they're true civil service jobs, but they're jobs in, like, the ag department or other departments. And um, maybe they technically need to be rehired, but they're typically rehired because you can't you can't come up with a new administration and restaff the thousands of jobs that make the federal government work. Um, but that was a good book. And it just we knew all of the shit that uh, Donald Trump was screwing up that we saw on TV every day. This is a book about the way that he either through ignorance, go figure, or malice, or indifference, was screwing up some of the key parts of the federal government by not bothering to staff positions where people had left, they weren't replacing them. And it gets back to the, the famous Ronald Reagan quote, um, you know, the, I forget what it is, what is it, the, the nine words you don't want to hear are, um, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. And people, Republicans laugh about that quote. Ha, 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 ha. It's like, all right, well, he was running for president at the time. He got elected. 
maybe he could have tried to fix that so that people say, I'm here for the government and I'm here to help, uh, could actually help. But no, no, it's just a, it was just a folksy saying by Uncle Ronnie. That wasn't that. Uh, but anyway, so I got I got complete. Let's go back to Luke Getzey for no apparent reason. Anyway, he uh, he'll get a little head coaching experience. Uh, it was funny that we Pusteri and I on the football podcast went through this whole thing where early in the season, where the Bears' offense was so bad, we were laughing about how well we don't have to worry about losing Luke Getzey. Nobody's going to poach him. And then they had that stretch, I guess, starting with the Patriots game, where Justin Fields would you know like pass for representative numbers and then run for 160 yards or whatever, and it's like oh. Well, maybe I was thinking that we, everybody knew at the time Cliff Kingsbury was going to get canned in Arizona. And I thought, you know, if this offense continues like this for the rest of the year, Arizona may look at a guy like Getze and say, that's a guy who maybe with our running quarterback, Kyler Murray, maybe that's a guy we should bring in to try to institute an offense kind of like that. Then a couple of things happened. Um, Justin got hurt. And um, they toned back a little bit on the running. And the Bears' offense wasn't as good. Arizona, Kyler blew out his knee. So even though they have, they did go ahead and can Cliff, um, Luke had fallen off the list anyway, and I don't think they were all that excited about um, bringing in somebody who was going to put the saddle on Kyler and run him 30 times a game. Um, so that's not going to happen. But it is good he's going to get um, get some experience. The big thing, the big advantage for the Bears is they'll have coaches there with hands-on experience with these guys who are most of the senior bowl guys aren't they're certainly not top of the first round talent nobody really wants to go there and risk that but middle of the first round down certainly there's a lot of guys there's a lot if it's a it's a way for savvy organizations to pick guys in like the third fourth and fifth rounds that they have that they they like but now they have even more information about and seven years ago the bears were also they sent they sent their entire coaching staff to Mobile. It was uh, right before John Fox's last year. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, they didn't really capitalize. Go figure on any of that. Because I don't think he wanted to be there. And I don't think he gave a shit. And I don't think they came back with uh, you know copious notes on a lot of prospects. I, I suspect that will be different. And the Bears have a full contingent down there anyway. The the Fluce is down there. Um, Ryan Poles, Ian Cunningham, all those guys. How about Ian Cunningham? So he was a guy that was uh, assistant general manager in Philly. And when Poles got the job with the Bears, he hired him. Ian is considered a rising star. And everybody, I think, kind of thought, well, a year maybe, maybe two, but probably one year with the Bears and he'll get a GM job. And he did interview. I believe he interviewed in Tennessee and in Arizona. He got offered the Arizona job. And he obviously spent a little time with Michael Bidwell. <laughs> and he was like, no, I don't want that job. The, the Cardinals make the, the, uh, the George McCaskey, Ted Phillips, Ryan Pace Bears look like the Patriots as far as how efficiently and with a laser-focused plan, uh, you know, just how well they're run. The, they did they did regular hard knocks like three years ago. No, they did, the, uh, they did that Amazon all-or-nothing uh, documentary like three years ago. And you got to see little, little Mike Bidwell, and the, he seemed a little more, a little more hands-on maybe than he should be as the as the owner. Though mostly, I think he saw him, like he liked to fly his own plane to games, which is he's a rich guy, why not? But in this year, they did the hard knocks where they picked it up at mid-season and went to the end of the year. And that's where we found out that at, how about this? How would you like to do this? After every game, I think on the Monday, the day after the game, Michael Bidwell, the owner, would sit in a room with Cliff Kingsbury and watch they would watch the game film together <laughs> you imagine having to do that with the owner the bears should do that virginia should sit in with uh with uh, the flus on mondays she could sit there and go, is this a talkie 
No, it's not. Who's going to play the piano? No, if we don't. It's There's no sound, but it's not a silent movie. There won't be, like, title cards, and we don't have dramatic music in the background. No one is getting uh, tied to the train tracks in this, Virginia. It's, uh, it's just footage of the game from, like, way up there. Like, where you sit, and you can't see, because you're 100. And we put you as far away from the field as possible, and you have no idea what's going on. But that would be great. One of these days, the Bears are going to give in and be on hard knocks, and I'm going to love it. But they're... Maybe they're self-aware enough to know that we probably shouldn't see that. Um, oh, now seems like a good time. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57, has all the Super Bowl action. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get in on the excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Sports Boosts. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code PLAYLESS. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code PLAYLESS. PLAYLESS, he says, not spitting on himself. 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario and Ohio. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, which is 467-369. Bonus issued as free bets. Opt-in required for odds boost. Bet type and amount limits vary. Eligibility and terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms. Did you get all that? Just hit the back 15 button like four times and listen to it again. Um, but I mean, who are we kidding? We're all going to bet something on the Super Bowl. In fact, um, next week I'll uh, try to go through and pick some of the some of the props that we all ought to bet. Uh, and that seems if you haven't signed up for DraftKings account, this is the time to do it. Sign up, get 203 bets, bet on all the all the stuff that's ridiculous, like how long the national anthem is going to be, and whether the coin toss is going to be heads. Um, my favorite one, which is, uh, will there be a non... Um, what is... It's my favorite, I can't remember exactly how they phrase it. Um, Non-offensive touchdown, I think. Score. So basically, you can it pays off if it excludes field goals and offensive touchdowns. So, like, if there's a safety, if there's a defensive touchdown, I think maybe even a two-point conversion fits into that one. I could be making that up. I do like to bet on the, at least a two-point conversion attempt. usually get fairly decent odds on that. And then I can root for that for the whole game. And I always do this. I'll bet, like, I'll find, like, ten props, and I'll bet them. And I'll get five of them right and five of them wrong. And I'll be right back where I started. But what the hell. Uh, but if you're going to do that, use the code... Get your free get your free money. They're trying to give you free money. Take it. You're not too proud to take free money. Take it. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about on sports, and I want to I'm gonna do a little TV at the end, and then we'll get out of here. Because right in a by now, you're like, can we get out of here? Um, is why does Tony Romo suck? Remember, just a couple of years ago, Tony was this like rising star, this enthusiastic guy who, uh, you know, had, I mean, he would amuse us, amaze us by predicting what the play was going to be before the play. And I, he got some crap for that because they're like, I think it was, um, it was either Collinsworth or Aikman was like, yeah, if we want to do that, we could do that on every play. Well, then do it because it's kind of cool. If anything, it's, what it would show us is what the play, what the formation told a quarterback about where they thought the play was going to go. You could kind of focus it. And they wouldn't always be right, because obviously, if it was that easy to predict, we set up in this formation, we're going to throw left to the tight end or whatever. I mean, that wouldn't work. But it was it was kind of fun to see that. He apparently got that knocked out of him. And he doesn't do that anymore. But he's just... he's He's gotten weirder and weirder. And he does this weird thing where he, like, he laugh talks all the time now. Like, David Ross is a laugh talker. Where he's like... Uh, uh, you know, you hit that one really far. Uh, I say, well, why are you laughing? Just talk. You know, don't do the laugh talk. And Tony also has a little bit of the Chip Carey, I've started this sentence and I don't know where I'm going. So I'm just going to keep talking until I think I get to a point. And it's a little rough. And then we heard all the stuff about how him and Jim Nance, Nance, 
Uh, they're perfect partners. They're such buddies or whatever. But I've noticed that Nance doesn't listen to Tony a lot. <laughs> like, Tony will say something, and Jim will not respond. And it's it's not like he's like, oh, God, I'm not going to talk about that. It's literally that I... And it's got to be tough, but he's supposed to be one of the, like, four best announcers. You've got a producer talking in your ear, you're talking, and you've got, you know, the, the yokel next to you who won't shut up. And he won't hear it. And one of the things I noticed was I was flipping around the other on Saturday, and I went by NFL Network, and they were replaying... The, uh, the championship game from the year before with the Bengals and the Chiefs, and it was right towards the end of the fourth quarter. And I couldn't remember exactly how that game went to overtime. So I'm like, I'm just going to watch this. I'll watch and see how they get to overtime. And what ended up happening was the Chiefs got down with like a minute 28. They were at the two-yard line, down four, right? Down three, obviously, because they kicked a tie. And they were trying not to score right away because they were worried they give Joe Burrow too much time and then so they I think they ran on first down they didn't get it and then uh, Mahomes got sacked on second and third down they ended up kicking had to kick like a 45 yard field goal to go to overtime but Tony was just babbling about the strategy at the end of the game he wasn't making any sense and at one point this I, I remembered that he did this because I'm sure I made fun of it at the time um there was a no this was in the lead up to them getting the ball towards the end it's about the time I started watching and they show Andy Reid talking to an official and Tony's like this is genius this is genius he's gonna he's gonna challenge this and it was like a minute 58 left minute 48 something like that left and the and Jim's like what's he gonna challenge and Tony's like well he's gonna challenge um, that the, it was an illegal formation by the Bengals. Well, number one, you can't challenge under two minutes. The refs have to do that. And you can't challenge an illegal formation. So it was not genius, and it wasn't even what Andy was talking to the ref about. Um, the other thing he did, which actually was funny, and this is when I realized, and I started to notice that there's a lot of times he says stuff and Jim doesn't either hear it or care, was as they were setting up for the for the field goal, um, you know, Jim's like, this, you know, um, this is a makeable field goal, you know, this will send the game to overtime, blah, blah, blah. And Tony's like, well, yeah, when have you ever seen, like, the holder just drop the ball in a big moment? And Jim didn't say a word. Because he, he either didn't hear him or he didn't... Tony was actually making a joke about himself. I mean, in, to the Bears' benefit, the year that the uh, Seahawks made the playoffs with a losing record, the Cowboys drove down late and were kicking a tying field goal to send it to overtime. It may have even been the winning field goal. Um... And Tony was the holder. That's back the good old days when your quarterbacks were your holders. Uh, that might have been the Tony was one of the last guys to do that. And he just dropped the snap. And then he tried to run it in. He got tackled. And the Seahawks won and went to Chicago. And the Bears beat him. Um, and then the Bears beat the Saints and went to the Super Bowl. But he made that. And Jim did not respond. And then Tony did the thing that he should not have done. He repeated his joke. <laughs> so that Jim could hear it. It's like, no, Tony, the, the move there is, you said it. It's funny. It was self-effacing. We heard it. Those of us who got the reference thought it was actually kind of funny. Just leave it alone. But he, he over-explained his own joke. Uh, but just a lot, of, a lot of talking and babbling. And he did it again in the game on Sunday. He just doesn't shut up. It's like, let the game breathe a little bit. And um, there, there have been a lot of um, reports that CBS is not happy with Tony because they feel like Tony doesn't like Tony doesn't work very hard. <laughs> like he got the seventeen and a half million dollars a year deal, and he's like, oh, I can just wing it. I know football well enough; I can do it on my own. He doesn't watch as much tape as the other announcers, so he doesn't pick up on the kinds of stuff that maybe somebody doing a little more film prep. You think for seventeen and a half million dollars you could do it? He doesn't notice that stuff. Um, and it's funny because I I have a feeling it kind of equates to his NFL career, like. Tony was undrafted out of Eastern Illinois, made the Cowboys. Within short order, because of an injury, he was the starting quarterback, and he never gave the job back. So he worked his ass off to make the team. He worked his ass off to be the starting quarterback and establish himself. And then he just kind of peaked, and he never really got any better. Part of it, I'm sure, was he had a, he kept having back injuries. But I kind of wondered if we're not if this isn't a window into that, where he's like, okay, I got the job. It's cool. I know how to do this. 
I don't really need to do all the, that extra shit anymore. I'm Tony Romo. You know, I'll figure it out. And I have a feeling that we're, that's what we're seeing in the booth right now is he's Tony Romo. And he's thinks he can just figure it out. Uh, other announcer news is that uh, for the second February 1st in a row, Tom Brady has retired. This time, it feels like it might actually stick. I think last time he retired because he and Giselle were kind of making a last-ditch effort to save the marriage, and then when it was clear it wasn't going to be saved, he's like, fuck it, I'm going back to play football. This year it feels like he's probably like, eh, I think I'm probably done. So that affects the Fox broadcast booth in that next year Tom will demote Greg Olson from the number one team down to presumably the number two team. And Greg's pretty good. Um, The people make a lot about the fact that he was all over the weird rule in the uh, Niners-Cowboys game where Dalton Schultz caught the pass and went straight out of bounds. And Greg knew immediately that they were going to wind the clock because there's some ridiculous NFL rule where you have to be going forward when you go out of bounds to stop the clock. What the hell? Why do they overcomplicate their rules like this? It's like, if you step step on the line and the clock stops. I don't quite understand it. And Greg knew that. And I give Fox a lot of credit because they, like, they had the replay ready and Kevin Burkhart set him up for it. You know, I, Greg, I think, just is a, Greg's just a, kind of a natural, although he probably works a little harder than Tony. He seems like he's good at it. I think the big difference between those two broadcasts is Kevin Burkhart, who's also pretty good, and he's only in his first year as the number one guy, seems to do a better job of setting Greg up for things. Like, they clearly have prepared on, if this happens, we're going to talk about this, I want to get this in, I'm going to do that. He seems to set him up where the whole Nance Romo thing now just seems to be like like a really bad improv group. <laughs> I'm surprised they're not yelling into the stands, you know. We need a verb, you know. How about a, a, a household object? Yeah, great. Okay, what? What is it? A salad spinner? All right, I can work that in. Uh, we'll get better bones than a salad spinner. Got out of it. Got a first down. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so Greg is going to do the... he go through the whole season as the number one guy. He's going to do the Super Bowl. And I'm sure he's going to get a lot of praise for, hey, he did a great job in the Super Bowl. And then uh, he's going to be hanging out with Moose and... Uh, you know, Joe Davis on the number two team <laughs> next year. God forbid they ever get rid of Moose Johnston. There's probably a world in which they have a they keep him in the booth with Brady, but I don't think so. I think you're paying Tom Brady $37.5 million. You're probably going to be like, I mean, he needs to talk a lot of the time because we're paying him a lot of money. I, I, I do think Brady's probably going to be good because it's Tom Brady. He's not going to do the Romo thing. He's going to work his ass off. And we found out when we got him out of New England that he actually has a little more personality than we thought. Is he a weirdo? Yeah, I mean, he's a weirdo. Uh, but maybe not as much of a weirdo as we thought. I think the weirdest thing he does is he chooses to talk to Jim Gray every week on his little serious radio show. I don't know why anybody would want to talk to Jim Gray, but he does. Now, I want to finish this up with um, some TV shows that you, uh, if, you're looking for, if you're looking for new TV shows to watch, I got you covered. Uh, let's see, I've got uh, five of them. They're all on different streaming platforms, so chances are you've got at least one of these. Maybe you've got them all. Uh, the first one is on Peacock, which I get for free, because I have an Xfinity, and they give me Peacock. I have to watch commercials, but I get it for free. It's a new uh, Ryan Johnson show. You know, Ryan Johnson, the guy who actually made the good Star Wars of the of the last trilogy. Uh, it's called Poker Face. And uh, Natasha Leone is in it, and I'm kind of hit or miss with her. This is a perfect use of her. She plays this uh, woman who could tell, just innately tell if you're lying. She can't really put her finger on how she knows, but something about your face, something about your manner, she can tell when people are lying. And um, the setup's pretty clever. It's This is a serialized show. This is like a good old-fashioned like, people keep comparing it to Columbo. And I think, honestly, I think Ryan and Natasha kind of... I think they kind of are riffing off of Columbo. Because that's kind of the structure. We see the murder right away. So we know we know who did it. And then the rest of the show is watching her try to figure out who did it. And um, she's on the run. You find out why in the first episode. So she's traveling from town to town. And she can't 
that's part of the conceit. She has to catch these people. She's not setting out to do it, but she finds, you know, during the show, she's like, oh, God, okay, he, he did it. She has to figure out a way for them to get caught because she can't just go to the cops because she's, she's on the lam. Um, there's some things I really like about it. The titles are very, like, 70 cop show. Like, you just get the, you get the feeling, like, right away. They have really good guest stars. Um, the, the mystery, the, they're not really mysteries because we know what happened, but the, the crimes are pretty clever. And the way she figures it out is clever. And the way she somehow gets them in trouble <laughs> for the things that they do is pretty good. Uh, so I do like I like that show. The first four are streaming. If you listen to this on Thursday, I think the fifth one will have dropped. They, they put four on Peacock, and I believe there's nine in this season. So now the next five weeks, is that how that works? Five, six, seven, eight, nine. We'll get the rest of them. So you can watch the first four, and then every week you'll get another one until they run out. Um, a show that everybody's watching, everybody that has HBO at least is watching, uh, The Last of Us, which is a great video game, one of the great video games of all time, um, about a uh, fungus among us. Fungus has, uh, has taken over the world, and um, it's making people, turning people into these walking fungus things, and they want to bite people, and they're not really zombies, but they are kind of zombies, but they don't call them zombies. Uh, and if, when you play the game, you get to shoot a lot of them. Or you get to, you get to learn how to make a shiv, because the, there's some of them that are clickers. They can't see. The fungus has grown over their face, and they can they attract people by sound. And if you get in a fight with them, the only way you can kill them in hand-to-hand combat is to take a shiv and stick it in their neck. So you get to do that. Uh, the, the stars are our buddy, uh, the Mandalorian, Pedro Pascal. He plays Joel. And then um, Bella Ramsey who played the saucy little, um, what was she, princess? She wasn't a princess, whatever, from uh, Game of Thrones. Um, she plays Ellie, and Joel and Ellie are the ones you go through the game with. And um, I saw somebody was complaining that uh, they shouldn't have cast her because she doesn't look American. So, yeah, she has a weird, like, wide face. But honestly, who gives a shit? She's, she's good. Uh, it's a good show, and they did a, um, they did a full, they devoted most of an episode in the third show uh, to a character that was, I thought it was going to be played by that guy, in the, W. Earl Brown voiced a, uh, you, you probably know him um, as Cameron Diaz's brother from uh, something about Mary, the one who, you couldn't touch it, was it Warren? You couldn't touch those headphones. That's not really what you know him from. You probably know him from Deadwood. Um, or some other stuff. He voiced this character named Bill, who's just like a survivalist. And um, I was looking through when the when this was announced. I was looking through the cast list. He wasn't on it. And I'm like, what? Well, they recast it for this um, Cub fan, woodworker, uh, man about town. Nick Offerman plays him in this. And then Murray Bartlett from uh, White Lotus uh, played Frank. Frank was a character in the game that we saw a suicide note from, but we never saw him. And um, so in, they rewrote this for the TV show. I have seen people complaining that the TV, the TV show is deviating from the game. And it's like, how boring would it be if it was just like a live action? For, we've all, we played the game. Like, as long as they get, like, roughly get from where that we got them to where they're supposed to end up. And we, it's kind of fun to see, like, stuff recreated. Um, there's a train station thing in the game that I hope they put in the show just because it was took me for fucking ever to get through it. I'd like to see it like play out in like 10 minutes instead of the 4 hours it took me. Anyway, they deviated a little bit and you got the backstory on Frank and Bill and it's different, but it it's it gets to, and it gets to the right place. And um, honestly, the best part of that is this the, the for a TV show, the like, they put a lot of money into this thing. You know, like, you see stuff from the games. Like, Boston has been, they bombed major cities to try to kill the, fung- the fungus people. And so, like, when they're in Boston, you see, like, skyscrapers that have crashed into each other, and now there's stuff growing on them, and that looks really cool. But uh, the special effects budget, they blew it out for the Bill and Frank episode because just on Nick Offerman's wigs alone. I mean, whew. wait till you see the wig he's got on at the beginning. It's it's really something. 
Uh, but they were very good. It was a great episode. And obviously, Nick Offerman's a great actor. Uh, Ray Bartlett's good. And it was it was really good. Um, presumably, we get we get back to the focus for the rest of the season that's going to be on Joel and Ellie. But um, it's, it's a really good show. Uh, there's a new show on Apple TV Plus called Shrinking with uh, Jason Segel. And, um, and Harrison Ford is in it. And it's as close to comedy as you're ever going to see Harrison Ford play. And he's just, he's deadpan hilarious in it. I don't know how great the show is. Uh, Bill Lawrence, the Scrubs guy and the Cougar Town guy, um, is like the showrunner. And the, we've seen the first couple episodes. It was kind of funny. Alan Suppenwall insists that it gets funnier as it goes along. Um, but I enjoyed the first two episodes. And uh, Harrison Ford is funny in it. And he's used just about the right amount. Like, he's he's in it a little. Uh, another Harrison Ford show, 1923, which is on Paramount+, Plus, um, did a pretty good fake-out. I don't want to spoil it. Something happened to him in one of the episodes, and you're like, oh, yeah, of course. It's Harrison Ford. He didn't want to do that much TV. Well, it doesn't turn out quite like you thought, maybe. That show's pretty good. Um, my complaint with 1923, it's Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford, and it... It tells the story of, if you watched 1883, the Tim McGraw, Faith Hill one, um, they finally got to um, Yellowstone at the end. And this picks up, uh, if my math is correct, about uh, 40 years later. And the little boy that's in it, and then apparently a brother, um, are now, maybe it's, I'm a little, I got confused about how these, how everybody's related but basically, Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren are playing like the... Is he the brother? He must be, because I keep calling him uncle. And the kids are... Those kids obviously are grown. It's been 40 years. Although one of them wasn't born yet, and one was a little kid. They're in their late 30s, early 40s. Um, and we've, we've moved ahead uh, in time. And the one thing I didn't understand... I loved 1883. I thought they were great. I thought it was a really good show. I really liked the, the, the daughter... Um, she narrated that show, and the narration was awful. Not her fault. The Taylor Sheridan writing was ugh, just terrible. And she did this weird accent when she narrated that she didn't have in the show. So I'm like, well, at least we don't have to worry about that in 1923. The first few episodes, she narrates it. I don't know, she ghost narrating it with the awful accent. But as you get going, at least there's some episodes that give us a break. There is a subplot with like this on this Indian reservation that it's just like, we don't need this. They're just... It's, it's, it's just violence porn for like no good reason. Uh, but otherwise, it's that's a pretty good show. Um, a show I didn't expect to like, but I really did like, and it's gotten mixed reviews. Was I don't even remember as a kid seeing the movie Willow. Um, so I watched it on Disney Plus, and I'm like, I think I saw. It's enough of it was familiar that I think I liked it. Okay, uh, they made a TV show, which is so in the movie Willow. If you didn't see it. Um, there's this little baby that is, is you know, a very important baby, Alora Dannon. And Willow, the little guy, Warwick, Warwick Davis, who you knew as uh, um, the Wicked the Ewok in uh, uh, Return of the Jedi. He plays Willow. And Val Kilmer plays this guy named Mad Mardigan, which I thought was two names for most of that movie. It's apparently one name, Mad Mardigan. I don't know if that's his last name. Um, and they've got to save the baby and protect it and the baby has to get the evil club, whatever uh, in this show, Alora Dannon is now 17 years old and just been hidden like she doesn't even know she's Alora Dannon and so this whole show is about that and the weak part of it is as much as you like Warwick Davis he's not a very good actor um, but he's, he's Willow we can forgive him but I really like the rest of the cast I thought they were really good especially Ruby Cruz who plays the sister? Plays the princess. She's a twin sister of the guy who's going to be king someday. Uh, he goes missing, and then they have to go find him. That's their little quest. Um, Ruby Cruz, Ella, um, Ellie Bamber, who plays uh, Alora Dana, is uh, pretty good. And uh, there's a guy named uh, Aman Chadra Patel, um, who plays this guy. What is his name? Starts with a B. I can't remember. I liked him. He was funny. Anyway, cast is pretty good. Um, it's a weird mix of, like, a medieval story with, like, 
they do funky things with like the camera work and the mu- modern music and stuff. And it doesn't sound like it'll work, and it actually does work. I I, did, I enjoyed it. Uh, one thing I wasn't surprised by then was as I I spent a lot of time looking into it was it's the showrunner is um, Jonathan Kasdan, and his dad is Lawrence Kasdan, who was like one of the great screenwriters of all time. Um, unless you didn't like movies like The Empire Strikes Back or Raiders of the Lost Ark or Body Heat or The Big Chill, which I really didn't like, or Silverado, which I loved. Um, he wrote The Bodyguard, even. And he wrote Wyatt Earp, not not the movie you like, Tombstone. He wrote the other one, Wyatt Earp, which was Kevin Costner for three and a half hours wandering around on a horse. Um... He wrote, um, he wrote The Force Awakens, which everybody's like, that's just a ripoff of uh, New Hope. And it kind of was, but I liked, I liked Force Awakens. He also, him and his son, Jonathan, wrote Solo, which I think, we're bringing this back to the beginning of the podcast, which um, I really liked Solo. I thought it was good. I think uh, Disney and Lucasfilm fucked it up. You know, they first had Chris Miller and Phil Lord those guys were going to, they ended up being the Spider-Verse um, guys. The Lego movie, I think they did the Lego movie. They started, their take on things made the suits at Lucasfilm a little uh, nervous and they fired them. <laughs> and they brought in Ron Howard. And so Ron had to kind of piece together the rest of the movie. And they moved it from its, it was going to be one of the December Star Wars movies, and they moved it to Summer. And I don't know why they did that. They should have just given themselves the extra time because there wasn't a there wasn't like one of the like um, I believe this came out in between. Did it come out between Force Awakens and The Last Jedi? I think it did. Anyway, or it came out between yeah, I think it did. There wasn't one that December, so they could have waited, but they didn't. And then everybody's like, "Oh, this movie's gonna suck" because they rewrote it and blah 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 blah. And they kind of burned it off in the summer. But I always liked it. Anyway, while they were working on that, Warwick Davis played one of the um, one of the people that was in Infus Nest, and him and Jonathan Kasdan and Ron Howard sat around and talked about how um, you know we were always going to make a sequel to Willow. It probably would be a TV show, and they pitched Kathleen Kennedy on it, and she's like, "Well, we got Disney Plus now, so why not?" And so that's how they ended up making um, Willow. And in the Willow TV show, Willow has a daughter. And she's played by his actual daughter, which is kind of cool, uh, Annabelle Davis. And if you're still listening to this, congratulations. I'm glad you made it to the end, uh, because the best show you can watch right now is on Netflix. And it's a show called Kunk on Earth. It's a, t- it's a ridiculous title, but the show is ridiculous. It is a show where the star is uh, aspiring journalist Philomena Kunk. And she's basically telling us the, uh, giving us an entire history of the world. And she's a complete moron. And she's, <laughs> she's interviewing, it, this is, um, Charlie, uh, Charlie Brooker, the guy who does Black Mirror. And apparently this, this character, Philomena is played by, um, Diana Morgan, or Diane Morgan, has done other stuff. So people like in England are aware of Philomena Kunk. I was unaware of her. She's hilarious. The stuff she adds... So she goes and she interviews these real historians. And she asks them the most ridiculous questions. And of course, because they're historians, they try to take it very seriously. And they try to, like, nudge her back. Like in one of the first episodes, either the first one or the second one, she's got this guy, and they're talking, she's, she's asking him whether... They're playing a fun little game of invented or improved. And she's basically, she's throwing out things, and he's telling her whether the Romans invented it or they improved it. So, like, she shows it, like, roads. He's like, well, they didn't invent them, but they did improve them, and blah, blah, blah. And she gets to anal bleaching. <laughs> Which he doesn't understand what it is. So she's not only is she trying to get him, she's making him answer, but she's trying to explain it to him. Um, my, here's my only request of you. If you're like, ah, this sounds stupid. Just watch the first one. It's like 25 minutes long. Watch it, and just see how many times you laugh out loud while you watch it. Because I had seen, like, the trailer for it and thought, I don't know. It's, this seems like it's going to wear out pretty thin. It somehow it doesn't. Like the farther she, the farther she goes, the more you enjoy it. Um, so that's it. Watch Kunk on Earth. I really did enjoy that. All right, so that's about enough. Um, uh, 
now spring training is around the corner. We've got the Super Bowl coming up next week. Uh, I will get off my ass and I will book guests <laughs> for these. You don't have to listen to me just talk again. Uh, but thanks for hanging in for what, like an hour, right? Pretty good for me just babbling to myself. Um, yeah, almost an hour exactly. So uh, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, you will hear me again next time. Talk to you guys later. Many of us have herpes.